This is Party on the Peninsulas, your weekly update on the people and policies leading Michigan, with Michigan Democratic Party Chair Lavora Barnes. Welcome to Party on the Peninsulas, your weekly report from the Michigan Democratic Party. I'm Lavora Barnes. The word this week? Criminals. No, I'm not talking about murder or other violent crimes, which, by the way, have actually decreased under the Biden administration. I'm talking about the criminal element that's infecting a segment of the Republican Party. Let me say this from the start. I'm not branding all Republicans as criminals. I know from my days working in the Michigan legislature that the majority of Republicans in public office are good, well-intentioned people. We can and do differ sharply on many issues, but it is a healthy debate. However, there have been far too many stories about some Republican leaders, elected and appointed, charged with and in some cases, already convicted of crimes. It starts, of course, at the top with former President Trump, impeached twice with a bipartisan vote in favor of conviction in his second impeachment, a business found guilty of criminal tax evasion, and two criminal indictments with the potential for two more. In Michigan, the headlines are equally disturbing. One former Republican House Speaker convicted of accepting bribes with investigations underway about two other former speakers and a former Senate Republican leader. Sixteen Republicans indicted for their roles in the fake elector scheme, including a former state Republican Party co-chair and three elected officials. And the 2022 GOP candidate for attorney general, a state representative, and a county sheriff, all facing indictments for tampering with voting machines. And now... Some Republican activists are abusing recall elections to do what they couldn't do in the 2022 election, gain control of the Michigan House of Representatives. Their six targets aren't accused of crimes, malfeasance, or even misfeasance. The Republicans want them yanked out of office because, in a couple of cases, they voted to strengthen penalties against hate crimes, and for others, because they voted to allow judges to temporarily take guns away from people who pose an imminent danger to themselves or others. We'll have much more on the recalls in a moment when we are joined by the attorney representing the six targeted legislatures, Mark Brewer. But first, an update on some of the other stories on politics and policies we're following this week with Dorian Tyus. I'm Dorian Tyus. Here are some of the stories on politics and policy we're following this week. Governor Whitmer has signed multiple bills making life better for Michiganders. Among the most significant, the $24.3 billion school budget that funds public K-12 schools, community colleges, and universities. The new budget includes a 5% increase in the school foundation allowance, which is the base amount schools receive per student. School districts will receive $9,608 for each K-12 student in the 2023-2024 school year, an increase of $458. Schools will also receive extra per-pupil funding for economically disadvantaged students, English language learners, and students who receive special education. The budget also funds free school meals for all students, expands eligibility for the state's pre-K program and per-pupil funding for tutoring. It also provides $66.4 million for a teacher recruitment, training, and retention initiative called Talent Together. The governor also signed a series of bills implementing Proposal 2. 
The wide-ranging elections amendment voters approved with 60% support. The 2024 presidential primary election will mark the first statewide election in Michigan under the new voting requirements spelled out in Proposal 2. The bills allow early voting, codifying current voter ID laws, allow local clerks to begin counting absentee ballots before Election Day, and enable voters to automatically receive absentee ballots for all future elections. A Lansing man has been convicted in federal court of threatening various public officials, including Ingham County Sheriff Scott Rigglesworth, in 2021. Authorities said Kevin William Cassidy, 41, made threats to a federal judge's chambers, the Court of Claims Clerk Office, and Ingham County Sheriff's Office in profanity-laced voicemail messages that refer to guns and killing people. The U.S. District Court jury deliberated for less than two hours after a four-day trial. The right-wing campaign against personal freedom continues across the nation. In Congress, House Republicans struck three Democratic projects that will provide services to LGBTQ community during a fiscal 2024 transportation HUD appropriations markup, enraging Democrats on the committee. The three earmarks total $3.62 million, with two in Massachusetts and one in Pennsylvania. The projects were eliminated as part of a Republican unblocked amendment that advanced a range of Republican cultural priorities, including a provision that would ban flying gay pride flags over government buildings. The vote was along party lines 32-26. In Florida, the school board has approved new educational guidelines requiring teaching students the good side of slavery, specifically that slavery had some benefits for enslaved persons, providing them vocational training. Also in Florida, a right-wing activist has successfully demanded that 120 books be removed from libraries. Another 154 titles remain inaccessible pending further review. Among the recently challenged books are four titles by Stephen King, including classics such as It and Carrie. Although King's novels contain violence and sexual conduct, they have been read by high school students for many years. A special guest showed up uninvited at a South Carolina school board meeting. At the meeting, community members railed against an African-American culture writer's award-winning memoir about racial injustice. The attendees included Ta-Nehisi Coates, the famed author in question. The Lexington-Richland District 5 School Board met to discuss the outrage concerning Coates' 2015 nonfiction bestseller, Between the World and Me. The book, written as an essay to Coates' son to prepare him for life he will live as a black man, details personal accounts of Coates' life and his firsthand experiences with racism. The book was removed from an advanced placement course after students filed a complaint claiming the book made them feel, quote, guilty for being white, end quote. In Nebraska, a then 17-year-old woman given abortion pills by her mother has been sentenced to 90 days in jail and two years probation. The mother also faces criminal charges and imprisonment. A Michigan gun rights rally featuring vigilante Kyle Rittenhouse was a flop. Around 100 people showed up Wednesday for the rally following months of new gun safety bills being signed into law and ahead of a full ban on firearms at the state capitol. The event, held on a farm in Ionia, 40 minutes northwest from the state capitol, 
took the place of an annual Second Amendment march that's been held on the Capitol lawn for the last decade. For more information on these and other stories, go to our website, partyonthepeninsulas.com. For Michigan Democratic Party headquarters in Lansing, I'm Dorian Tyus. Thank you, Dorian. As six of our legislators contend with efforts to recall them from office, we are very fortunate to have a nationally recognized expert on election laws representing them. He is Mark Brewer, who for 18 years was chair of our state party and knows the ins and outs of recall law. He talked with our Walt Sorg. It's a great pleasure to welcome to the podcast Mark Brewer, for 18 years chair of the Michigan Democratic Party, and now the party's lawyer. At least for these recalls. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Paul. Great to be with you. Yeah, it's recall season. Under Michigan law, for the first six months of a two-year term, uh, recall petitions can't be filed. And so that moratorium lifted on July 1. And to no one's surprise, as of today, half a dozen recall petitions have been filed against Democratic uh, state house members focused on two issues. Uh, The first is the vote that some of them took for the hate crimes bill. Uh, the other issue that's cited in some of the petitions is the vote for what is now the red flag law here in Michigan in the wake of the MSU shootings. I got to tell you, it seems very odd that they would pick those two issues. Those are very popular issues with the voters. But nonetheless, those are the ones that were selected. And the way this works now is that you must get approval from the State Board of Canvassers in order to circulate recall petitions. There'll be a hearing on August 1. As to all six of these, there's actually a couple of Republican recalls that got filed as well. That seems to be a matter of internal Republican politics in terms of what's going on there. So there'll be a hearing for the board of canvassers. It takes a vote of at least three of the four board members to say that these petitions are factual and they are clear enough that they can be circulated. Then it gets even more complicated. First, and by the way, I'm the lawyer for all six of these folks, we can appeal to the Court of Appeals, saying that the board made the wrong decision. That imposes a further freeze on circulation, which can last up to 40 days. So there's that piece. But assuming there's no freeze, they can start circulating the petitions. The petitions are good for 180 days, but the signatures they collect are only good for 60 days. A very small window. And uh, the big number they have to collect, they have to collect at least 25% of the total gubernatorial vote in that district. And that could be in the double digits. And we had a big turnout in the last election. Yeah. With these record-breaking turnouts we've seen the last several elections, that number is climbing. Climbed to 218 and it's now climbed again in 2022. And of course, the 25% is just a minimum. Well, from your experience with petitions, you need a cushion because inevitably you're going to have bad signatures. Assuming they get all that done in the 60 days, all of those signatures get checked by the Secretary of State. And there's, again, further opportunity for these targets of the recall to challenge signatures at that point. If there's arguably enough, if there are enough in the staff's opinion, it'll go back before the Board of Canvassers to determine whether a recall has been triggered. And then it'll be up to the Secretary of State to call uh, the elections. What happens then is... The targets are automatically on the ballot, but uh, the Republican Party will have the opportunity to hold a primary to select a candidate in as many of these districts in which the recall elections occur. And then we have a straight-up election. 
between the Democratic incumbent and a Republican opponent and whoever gets the most votes win, the earliest any of this could possibly happen is next May, which just further shows the absurdity of this because by that point, uh, these representatives will be within six months of their own reelection effort. This is clearly uh, looking at the people who filed these, looking at the reasons, et cetera. Uh, this is no more than harassment, a practicing attempt to overturn the will of the voters. These representatives were elected. There were no recounts in any of their elections. The elections were certified. They're doing what the voters elected them to do. Like I said, these two issues are very popular with voters. Uh, these are not issues that are going to cause a lot of voters to be upset and want to sign such a petition. And so, again, it's just uh, an unfortunate distraction. But with the Republicans out of power, while like they are, they really have very few levers other than to throw things from the cheap seats, which is what this is, in terms of trying to d- distract these uh, representatives from their job. Even though it's very difficult, especially given the reason for the recalls, this is something you're taking seriously, the party's taking seriously, because it has flipped a House of the Legislature in the past. Oh, yes, we are taking it very seriously. It's very difficult to recall a member of the state legislature under the laws, but it has happened in the past, not very often. But you may recall last cycle, and our listeners will recall, that the governor and lieutenant governor literally were the subject of dozens of harassing recall attempts. All of them ultimately failed. I don't think they even collected a signature. But it it is a distraction. I think at some point, I hope soon, because I've been involved in recalls in my entire political career dating back to the 80s, we need to reform the recall laws in this state. It should be reserved for criminal offenses, malfeasance, misfeasance in office. We shouldn't have recalls over policy differences. That's what elections are for. Elections are fought over policies. In each of these districts, the voters have spoken. They said, we prefer these candidates and their platform. And they're simply doing what the voters authorized them, gave them a mandate to do. If there are policy differences with Republicans, those should be reserved for the next general election, not a midterm do-over, which is what these recall efforts are seeking. And the do-over is likely to attract far fewer voters because it's going to be in May and there'll probably be nothing out on the ballot other than the recall or possibly a school issue or a local bond issue or something like that. And that's part of the tactic, I guess, of the recall organizers. No, there's no question about it. It'll be a much more, a much lower turnout election that will, in a very undemocratic with a small D, attempt to overturn the will of the larger majority of the voters who voted in 2022 for all these representatives. So there's lots of reasons why this is improper, shouldn't go forward. And we're going to fight very vigorously in front of the board of canvassers in court, if necessary, challenging signatures, if we ever get to that, uh, to prevent these recalls going forward. So again, these representatives who are going to be back in session after Labor Day, focusing on a lot more important public policy issues, get this distraction off their plate so they can focus on doing their job for the people of their districts. I find it intriguing that in addition to recalling or trying to recall legislators for voting in favor of popular bills, they're going after five women plus the chief sponsor of the hate crimes bill. Yeah, there's no question. I yeah, I think there's an element of sexism here, frankly, in terms of the targeting of these things, retribution, retaliation for going after the sponsor of the bill. Yeah. So it's just, yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out, Walt, because from that perspective as well, these are very offensive tactics to be using in this fashion. For our listeners, is there anything they could do at this point to help fight this effort? Yes. One, obviously, if you live in these districts, please uh, be supportive 
of these representatives decline to sign, discourage your friends and neighbors if they're approached from, with these recall petitions from signing. But also, there are now special contribution limits for these recall elections. And I'd encourage people uh, to make contributions to these six target individuals so they have the resources to fight off this effort starting right now. They can take these additional contributions and they will use them very wisely uh, to fight back against these recall efforts so they could use party members' financial support as well as their moral encouragement and, again, participation and decline to sign if you happen to live in one of these districts. Mark Rurer, always a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you for your efforts, and we will be following this very closely. Well, thank you all, and my thanks to uh, my successor, Lavora Barnes, for letting me be a guest today. Thanks so much. That's our report for this week. Let me reiterate Mark's recommendations regarding recalls. If you live in or near the districts of the targeted representatives, get in touch with them and offer your help. Those legislators are Jamie Churches of Wyandotte, Betsy Kofia of Traverse City, Jennifer Conlon of Ann Arbor, Sharon McDonald of Troy, Reggie Miller of Van Buren Township, and Noah Arbit of West Bloomfield. And regardless of where you live, consider a campaign donation. We have links to all their websites on our homepage, partyonthepeninsulas.com. I'm Lavora Barnes. Thank you for listening. Will will be back next week and hope you will be too. Party on the Peninsula is a production of the Michigan Democratic Party.